I'm Kate Daniels. There's just too much time and attention paid to homelessness as this big problem, that it's growing, and that there's just this long laundry list of issues. Today, we're talking about a major solution, and it needs to be the subject mentioned more frequently than what we call the problem. Barb Oliver is the Operations Manager and Volunteer Coordinator for Sound Foundations Northwest, located in the Soto area and doing a life-saving work. Let's meet Barb to hear some of the story. Barb Oliver, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today. It's my pleasure to be here, Kate. Thank you. You're welcome. Barb Oliver, I do really appreciate, even more than appreciate, I actually love the whole idea, everything that's happening around tiny homes, the tiny home villages, and what you are doing with Sound Foundations Northwest. It occurred to me, I wonder what it is that you like or appreciate about the work that you do. Well, it's really all about the people that we serve. Uh, For people that don't know about us, what we do is we manufacture uh, tiny homes for the tiny home villages. Uh, We are what Mayor Harrell calls the first best solution to homelessness. We literally get people off of the ground and into a space that's warm and safe and dry. And there's nothing better uh, than having a resident of a tiny home hug you so tight that you can't breathe and then uh, release and in their tears say, you saved my life. It's, it's a very humbling experience. Because that's no minor thing for someone to say, you saved my life. You know, usually it's in the realms of doctors, right? Absolutely. It is the most important thing. Yes, it is. And to have the mayor actually say it's the first best solution, it really does make sense, doesn't it, Barb? It does to us. Uh, I just had lunch uh, with Sharon Lee, who is the director of Lehigh, the Low Income Housing Institute. Uh, They are the other uh, nonprofit organization that we partner with. Uh, They basically set up and run the villages. And what Sharon told me was that uh, in 2022, uh, we got a a little over 2,000 people off the streets. Last year, it was over 2,700. So in, in two years, we're almost at 5,000 people off the streets. And that's just, it's just a really, uh, I can't even describe how, how excited I am to, to hear that so many people are off the streets as a result of what we do. So there are two aspects to to this in the sense of the building or having the tiny homes constructed, and then in the villages, they range, well, how many homes are actually in a village? Usually between 35 and 50 homes. And those might be single residents in them or perhaps a couple? Yes, that's correct. Mostly singles, but there are a few couples, yes. And there are families that also live in in, uh, the tiny homes as well. And it happens. Sadly, these days, we do have families that that lose housing, and so they end up in their cars or on the street. So uh, you have a special consideration in a tiny home village for them, correct? Yes, we do. And it just depends on the villages, but most of the time, our homes are between 8 feet by 12 feet, so they're a little bit under 100 square feet. And so with families, what we normally do is we put two homes side by side, and we put a parent and children in one home and a parent and children in the other home. And that's how we work the family situation. 
there is a village in the U District called Emerald Heights, and that's for single mothers with children. And uh, Mary's Place does a lot of really good work with them. And so there's there's all different kinds of, of our homeless neighbors, young, old, uh, all different colors, religions, nationalities, a lot of different life experiences. But uh, bottom line is when it's 20 degrees outside or if it's 90 degrees outside, uh, we want to make sure that they're not sleeping on the streets, that they have a place inside that's warm and safe and dry, a place with a lock on the door that they can feel like they are secure until they can find permanent homes. And each of those things is, of course, critical. We think about uh, warm, we think about dry. Safe is a huge aspect of it, too, for persons who have been left on the street. Absolutely. Yeah. And so here we have um, these villages with single people, mothers with children, families, and in terms of being in a tiny home, it was interesting to me to find out that this is not considered to be a long-term residency. I, I was really amazed at how, you know, there's a really important and good positive turnaround in them. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the median length of stay of a tiny home resident is 114 days. So roughly three people per year transition in and out of every tiny homes. And the reason for that is that in each of the villages, there's at least one case manager. And it's the case manager's job to make sure that the person is going toward the next part of their life. Once they get in the tiny homes, they kind of go, and sigh and they're they're relieved and then once they know that they're safe uh, then they can start thinking about the next part of their life Uh, and so the case manager will help them get a job or go back to school or whatever they need to do to to get on with their life and so again that's a factor that i think is not really shared sufficiently that these have really the villages the tiny home villages have really good wraparound services to support the residents who are there absolutely they do and not only are there case managers in the villages uh, there is a mobile dental service that goes around to all the villages. There are mobile clinics that go around to all the villages, barbers and beauty shops that go around to all the villages. And so um, they get services that they need. And w- when you're out on the streets and you're hungry, it's really hard to think about anything else. You know, people always say, well, why don't they just get a job? Well, if you have your stuff in a tent and you go out and you, you go to work and you come back, sometimes your stuff is there and sometimes it's not because there's no lock on a tent. And the lock on the door in a tiny home village is critical not only for your safety but also to store your stuff. Uh, the other thing that's nice about the villages is that the residents have an address. Uh, you can't get a job. You can't fill out a job description or go back to school without an address. So that's critically important as well. Exactly. So they have this opportunity to to feel safe. And like you said, the lock on the door really makes a difference. And and also, then there's food that's available to them because on the street, who knows that it's so random, but there's a like a central kitchen available too, isn't there? Right. In all the villages, uh, they they have an eight by 12 tiny home and they also have a community bathroom kitchen, um, laundry facilities, pantry, uh, all those kinds of things. Uh, Lehigh provides at least one meal a day for for each of the residents. And a lot of times, uh, depending on the village, 
there are churches and different organizations around the villages that will say, well, I'll, I'll take a meal there every Tuesday, or I'll take a lunch there every third Wednesday. And so it's sort of like if you've ever had a party, you know, y'all congregate kids around, that's how a lot of the villages are. So they get to make connections and, and have relationships. Absolutely. When you're out on the streets, a lot for a lot of our homeless neighbors, it's basically everybody for themselves. And so um, I've done a lot of research on, on homelessness, and I've talked to a lot of cities around the United States. And one of the things that every city that I've talked to has said is that homelessness is not about a lack of a house. It's about a lack of community. It's usually lack of community in some form or another that, that creates uh, the homeless situation uh, for a person. And once they're in that situation, they have to relearn how to become back into community uh, in order to thrive when they when they do get their permanent housing. So that's um, all the villages are all self-governed. And so um, Lehigh has this overarching set of rules called a code of conduct, like you can't have guns in the village, uh, you can't go screaming uh, at 3 o'clock in the morning, things like that. But then it's up to each individual village to create their own set of rules. And uh, then they they uh, talk to people, uh, they celebrate their victories, they celebrate their uh, successes, and they also, if somebody's breaking the rules, they have to deal with the consequences for those people too. So uh, they learn how to take care of each other. And that's a very, very important uh, skill set to have once you get into a permanent uh, housing situation. Absolutely. And it must be working if there is this turnaround cycle of a resident being in a tiny home for about 114 days. That's correct. Yeah. You know, everybody thinks, well, they just go into tiny homes and they just sit there for years. That's not the case. They are allowed to stay in their tiny homes as long as they are going toward the next part of their life. Uh, I've got a really good friend named Dave who was in his tiny home for four years because he got a four-year degree from UW in architectural engineering. So he was allowed to stay in his home for four years. But normally they don't just sit there and, and waste away. You know, people say, oh, homeless people are lazy. They don't want to go out and get a job and, and go to school. That's not the case. Uh, I've known personally hundreds of tiny home residents and they are, first of all, one of the most optimistic people uh, as a group that I've ever met uh, because once you hit rock bottom and there's nowhere else to go but up, then everything looks really good. And so they have a, a very cool, optimistic spirit about them. They're definitely not lazy. Uh, most of the folks that I know are not. Uh, they want to do good. They want to have a job. They want to get an income. They want to have permanent uh, housing. And so this is just basically a leg up. It's just an opportunity for them to, to get to where they need to be. Unfortunately, in Seattle and King County, there's just not enough tiny homes. Uh, there's roughly about 7,600 of our homeless neighbors in King County, and right now there's about 725 homes. We have a plan at Sound Foundations Northwest that we're presenting to Mayor Harrell this week, as a matter of fact, where in three years or less, and less for the cost of sweeps, we can actually get a roof over the head, a lock on the door, food in the stomach, and wraparound services for every single homeless person in Seattle that wants it. And we are very, very excited about this. People think homelessness is impossible to solve. 
that's that's just not the case because we know that. Like I said, we've gotten nearly 5,000 people off the streets just in the last two years. And so we know how to do it. We have a six-year track record of doing this, and we look forward to working with the mayor and the Herald administration to actually do this and get everybody off the ground. Wouldn't that be cool? Oh, beyond <laughs> cool. It, it's a solution yeah. because we see so much or we hear about the wringing of hands and, oh, the situation is getting worse and nothing's going on. And that's why knowing about you, Barb, and Sound Foundations Northwest and what Lehigh is doing and the villages that we have around here that do keep expanding, but yet, yet we still hear some uh, some areas saying, oh, no, no, you know, we're not going to have those, the, you know, th- those people living next door to us. So how, how do we grapple with that? Well, I've been in those town hall meetings where it actually they pointed to me thinking I was homeless and said, I don't want that person living in my neighborhood. <laughs> so I know what it feels. I know deep down in my heart what that feels like. So uh, recently I met uh, police chief Diaz, Seattle's police chief, and what Chief uh, Diaz said to me was the police never go in the tiny home villages because there is no crime there. And I, I'll give you a good example. There was a tent encampment near a 7-Eleven, and that 7-Eleven was fought uh, with a lot of uh, shoplifting because people were stealing sandwiches because they were hungry. Once the tiny home village went in next door, Then there was a kitchen, and uh, our homeless neighbors got fed, and so crime went to virtually zero in the 7-Eleven. And we're seeing that in villages all over Seattle and all over King County, where crime actually goes down. People that are in the the residence in the tiny home villages uh, do a security shift uh, at least once a week. And so 24-7, they're walking around, they're picking up cigarette butts, they're picking up the trash around them. So it's not a trash-filled piece of land like you see with a lot of the tent encampments. And so you don't have to sweep something that's already clean. So uh, we can put our money into tiny home villages and eliminate the sweeps altogether if if we do it right. So creating the tiny homes, that's kind of the crux here is to have sufficient numbers of those. And that's where I love this name. The Hope Factory is where the tiny homes are built. And how does that operate, Barb? Well, we have a unique situation here where um, we're in about 15,000 square feet. Uh, We build on what's called a jig system. Jigs are like templates. And about seven out of every 10 people that build with us have no experience whatsoever. Uh, but we, uh, we put inexperienced people with experienced people that we call team leaders. And we build on the jigs. We build four walls and a platform and the roofs all on jigs. And so we can go from a pile of lumber to uh, the finished rough carpentry in about five and a half hours. And it's so satisfying for a lot of our volunteers, especially the ones that are doing it for the first time, to actually see the work of their hands become this place for somebody. Uh, Our homes are built to last 20 years. Three people per year transition in and out of every tiny home. So each home can service up to 60 people. You know, people always say, well, what can I do? What can I do to help homelessness? Well, come down and volunteer. Uh, We're open every day, but Friday, if you go on our website, which is www.soundfoundationsnw.org, go to where it says to volunteer and just sign up. And we would love to have you come down and build with us. It's a whole lot of fun. And if you're not able to come out and build, of course, donations are really helpful. 
Absolutely. Uh, we do take checks of any size. <laughs> and uh, our homes cost $4,500 in materials costs. About 97 cents of every dollar goes right back into the homes. So we only have a 3% admin uh cost, which is very low. It's usually t- 10% or less is considered good. So we're very proud because we want as many people as we can get off the streets. Uh, this year, we'll build about 200 homes out of the Hope Factory. So that's a really huge number for production. Is that what will happen each year or do you expect it'll increase? We're going to stretch it this year. Uh we are uh, going to ask the city for four tiny home villages, and another two tiny home villages are going to go into Tacoma. So we service Pierce County as well as King County. The other thing I want to mention, too, is that our entire construction system is on a zip file, and any municipality or nonprofit that wants it can have it. So we're currently in 28 cities around the United States with our construction system. Uh, Chicago's coming up here pretty soon. They came to visit us last month. Uh, Tucson's actually coming this uh, week to come to the whole factory and learn how we do what we do. And then uh, once we teach them how to use our system, then we send them home with the zip file, and then off they go. And then uh, so... You know, we're all about uh, solving homelessness in the Pacific Northwest, but there's really no sense in reinventing the wheel. And so we're able to uh, very uh, lovingly and easily share our construction system at no cost. It's all open source material uh, because we want to end homelessness wherever we can. Oh, absolutely. And it just really seems like such a common sense way to go where the people living in the homes really do love that they have them. And then they're ready to move on to something that's a larger space, doesn't have to be larger, but it is, and really supporting themselves because they have the education or they have the support to get a job. Absolutely. Uh, I'll give you a real, really good example. I had a friend, Alex, who uh, went through the welding program. It's a three-month certificate program. Uh, Once he got through the program, he went from earning $0 an hour to $72,000 a year in that program. He stayed for another couple of months and saved his money. And then he says, I'm just going to go off on my own. So he went off on his own, found his own apartment, uh, and is now living his life just like pretty much everybody else is, you know. And so uh, that happens in the tiny home villages hundreds and hundreds of times every year. Which is so beautiful because we don't know necessarily the circumstances. I know we have just such a challenge with even youth being in foster care. Things don't work out. They end up on the street. How do they even have an opportunity to get a good education? Here, what would happen with young people? Are they able to get into the tiny home as well? Yes, people of all ages get into the tiny homes. Okay. And it, it just depends on their circumstances to which village they go to. And I think that there are villages that are really specified for persons who are needing uh, support, maybe going through a drug or alcohol addiction. Right, right. Uh, statistically speaking, seven out of every 10 people who are homeless and are alcoholics and drug abusers were not alcoholics and drug abusers when they became homeless only afterwards. 
And what's happening now, especially the fentanyl crisis has been crazy. Two years ago, there was no deaths with fentanyl. Last year, 1,034 people died of fentanyl. Most of them were homeless on the streets. And being homeless is a hard life. And if somebody comes up and they say, here's a pill so you, you can get numb, so you don't have to feel cold or hungry, you know, a lot of people take it and then they get hooked. The problem is once they get hooked, they have to get unhooked. So there are a couple of villages uh, in the uh, tiny home villages that are specifically for people that are actively going through drug and alcohol uh, treatment programs. And so those three case managers, and they're all trained in alcohol and drug abuse issues. And so uh, they're able to get that kind of service, and that's what they need before they can get a job or go back to school. That's fine. Whatever they need, our case managers meet them exactly where they're at and get them to the next step. And that's really the whole point of the tiny home villages. Exactly. And this helping people wherever they are is what's needed. You can't have what is maybe a one size fits all is that it's a tiny home. But then it it really changes as to whatever the need might be. And that's what's being addressed with all the special wraparound services. So it really seems like such a logical solution. It does to us. Yeah. <laughs> it just, I mean, it's it's common sense stuff. Uh, this is not rocket science. Uh, let me preface that by saying homelessness is a big problem with lots of solutions. And there's a lot of great agencies, especially in the Pacific Northwest, to address various aspects of homelessness. For us, specifically, it's a math problem. How many homeless people are on the streets? How many tiny homes do we need to get those people off the streets? Uh, how long will it take, and how much money do we need to make that happen? And so that's basically what we're going to present to the Herald administration this week, is to actually show them that homelessness is solvable, it's solvable in three years or less, and it's solvable for less than the price of sweeps. And that's a big thing, because when we think of sweeps, that's a huge number. What is it? $69 million, I think? Uh, the budget for sweeps, the annual budget for sweeps this year is $38 million. Okay. And I can't reveal the numbers uh, yet until we show the mayor and his staff what they are, but it's significantly less than that. Right. And so even without knowing what the numbers are, but they're much less than that, again, isn't it just logical to think of a humane way to provide long-term living conditions for people to make people feel healthy and whole and contributing members of society. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of the tiny home villages. And we are, we are proud to be able to contribute to that. We've been around since uh, 2018 uh, to date. Uh, we have built, let's see, yesterday we built our 458th home, uh, which means that we have built and donated over $1.8 million worth of tiny homes. Our funding is mostly from private donations. We get very little grants, uh, almost uh, less than 10% from any of the government entities. So it's really people in the community that step up and write us a check or come in and spend some time with us or both. And uh, uh, we always thought that we're the little engine that could. We're not a big multi-million-dollar you know, operation. We're just... You know, let's build one more tiny home. Let's get up to 60 more people off the ground. Let's build another one. Let's build another one. That's been our philosophy since the day one. And so we're just going to keep on doing it. 
our philosophy and the promise that we've made to the city of Seattle and to King County is that we will not stop building homes until every single person that wants a tiny home has one, till they're off of the ground, till they're dry and they're safe and they're warm, their belly is full, they're going back to school or they're getting a job or doing whatever we can do to get them to the next part of their lives. That's the promise that we've made. And we have some great groups that work with us, a lot of churches. In a couple of weeks, we have our 11th Eagle Scout project that's building with us. And so we build this fantastic community of volunteers. And let me just say this. I talk to a lot of groups. We have a lot of people that come in. The best hearts in the world walk through the doors of the Hope Factory six days a week because these are people that care about our homeless neighbors. They want to make sure that they're taken care of, and we will do whatever we can to make that happen. It's an incredible story, and this is life. It's it's so essential yeah. to what is going on in our community. I always like to say that we're only as strong as our weakest link. And if we don't take care of our neighbors who end up on the street, then we're just going to ultimately fail. So we don't want that to happen. So here's the solution, as you said. Well... I think so. Yes. (laughs) We do. I mean, we joke about it, but seriously, it's not rocket science. Let's just get everybody a roof over their head. Why don't we? Yes, exactly. So to volunteer, Barb, can people sign up as an individual or do you want to have groups come in? What's the best? Uh, We have a combination of group builds and individuals uh, on any given day. Uh, Groups are groups of uh, between 10 and 12 people. Uh, All of our volunteers have to be at least 16 years of age. Our volunteers range in age from 16 to 96. So it doesn't matter your age or your ability. If you've got a willing heart, we'll teach you. That is so great, yes. Yeah. Go on the website, soundfoundationw.org. Go to where it says to volunteer, and it'll tell you how to, how to sign up to volunteer. So great. And then we can really say very strongly, I am part of the solution. I'm helping to help people get off the street and into some safety, comfort, uh, warmth, or cool if it's going to be the summertime. But all of that factors in in our lives. But we're making a difference in the world. Yes. I wake up every day at five o'clock in the morning excited to go to work. And I don't know of a lot of people that get to do that. And so I feel very privileged. And it's also really, it's a humbling experience to be able to be around a lot of talent and a lot of really cool people. And we have every group from Boeing and Microsoft and Warehouser and, you know, the, all the way. These are a group of 70-something women that walk around Mercer Island. And so if the soulmates can do it, anybody can. We, we love our Mercer Island people. And we love, like I said, any age, any nationality, any religion, it doesn't matter. All we care about is getting everybody off the streets. And it's really cool when you put a lot of different types of people together. Uh, and it all works because we're all there to do the same thing, which is to get people off the streets. It's beautiful. It's such an unsung story so far, and I feel that we need to proclaim this all the more and share these stories. It should be a feature maybe daily on the news so that we counteract so much of the negativity that's being reported. Yeah, well, I I would love to see more good news on the news, too. (laughs) Unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. But, you know, when we were in the middle of COVID and all that negative stuff going on, 
inside the Hope Factory is all about hope. I hear that, and the results are right there for us to see that uh, this is really a great solution. It's working. And part of it is that you're just wanting to share with the rest of the world in terms of giving away the plans for how this can operate. So there's just so much generosity involved that it's one of the big reasons, I think, that this is working so well. I think so, too, yes. Well, Barb Oliver, I really appreciate your taking time with us today. The fact that you love what you do, getting up and going to your job every day is inspiring and it should motivate us to help in whatever way we can and be involved in the solution to end homelessness in our community and in the country. Let let me end by just saying this. If you happen to run across a homeless person on the street, what do you do? Well, I'll tell you what I do. The first thing that you do is look them in the eye because a lot of homeless people feel invisible. And I normally say, my name's Barb, what's yours? And they will either tell you or not. And so you just meet people wherever they're coming from. Sometimes they'll tell you their life story. Sometimes they'll tell you to get out of their face. Doesn't matter because you have met them and looked them in the eye and just to acknowledge that they are a member of the human race. They are important. They are valuable. And everybody that walks this earth is as valuable as anybody else. And so we just want to make sure that they have all their basic needs met. True story. Yes, absolutely. Again, so beautiful. And you are just an amazing human being yourself, Barb Oliver. Again, many thanks for taking time with us today. Thank you so much. 